0: You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Welcome to Plato's Cave, your regular Monday night dose of film criticism from we who have no cinematic shame. Major thank you to Phoebe Squared for the last three hours of Maps. What an empty, musicless husk our lives would be without her and her divine selections of tunes yes i am talking about barracuda
1: and barracuda
0: barracuda we can just can this show for the next hour and just play barracuda on a loop for an hour or we can just (laughs) ad lib it that'd be great radio (laughs) i'm alexandra helenicholas and tonight it's a two-girl cave three including marion who's here driving things for us the wonderful marion
1: second lady cave
0: lady cave part two yeah this is it's just we're a step away from from pillow fights it's it's (laughs) all happening here i as you can tell i'm joined by my fine feathered friend cerise howard how you doing
1: i'm fine alex how are you
0: (laughs) i'm not too shabby i'm excited let's talk some cinema yeah let's um tonight we are looking at the new ben wheatley film high rise based on the 1975 novel of the same name by cult author jg ballard And starring Tom Hiddleston and Truman, a Spanish-Argentine co-production directed by Cesc Gay, starring Ricardo Duran. Pause for effect, because I secretly, well, not really that secretly love him. We'll talk about that more soon. Uh, Javier Camara and the exquisitely named Dolores Fonzi. But first, let's start with a bit of a beef, brief post-myth autopsy, I guess, following on from our last two programs that were quite intensive dives into the array of movies on offer during this year's Melbourne International Film Festival. Cerise, where do we go about casting final verdicts? Wow. Well, or should I, we not attempt anything so dramatic?
1: No, that's a bit difficult because everyone's myth is very individual in, in a festival which contains quite literally hundreds of films, no two people over the 18 days that the festival <laughs> runs for and destroys us all during, uh, are going to have remotely the same experiences.
0: My anecdotal experiences is, is people telling me about films that I missed. Um, <laughs> films that I probably should have seen. Yeah, well,
1: but there's a lot of that. That's part of the it's festival experience. <laughs> so have you seen, and you mm, no, is it on again? And then, oh. But then... A little glimmer of hope. Will it get a release? <laughs> and and oftentimes, let's say in about seventy to eighty in- cases, uh, there will be a re- theatrical release after the after the festival, including of uh, one of my very most favourite films that I bigged up, big big up, big upped on on big, a, bigged a up, big big up, big upped. That's yeah, interesting. On a first, uh, spectacular two weeks ago. A life animated is in cinemas in the second week of September. That f- sort of destroys me. Even just casting my mind back,
0: uh, I feel about. I feel that way, actually, about Kate Plays Christine. Sort of people have been saying, you know, what was your highlight? And that, that played in the first week, and it's like a... Like a, a traumatic flashback, I'm but in a, a pretty pleasant waves. one. Like I really a pleasant, one. A, a pleasant traumatic flashback. Is that even a thing?
1: No, it's not. No, but uh, it is now because yeah. it's
0: radio and we've made it fact. That's how the media works. Yeah. McLuhan told Believe me. Believe the hype. McLuhan told me. He doesn't uh, lie.
1: So films that we've seen that we hadn't covered at all before, that we've since got excited about. Well, there's
0: been a whole about. week. There's been a whole week since we were last here with um, Mr. Christoph Chalkas, yes. chatting film. Um, I would like to mention a film called The Demons. The um, Demons. Did you see this? It was a French Canadian film by Philippe Lesage, um, who started off as a documentary filmmaker and then moved into fiction. This is a strange film. I've had, um, I was thinking about this actually on my way in tonight that the two films, I don't even know if I would recommend them, but the, there's two films from MIF that have really got under my skin to the point that I don't know if I liked them or not. Um, and one of them is Joe Chinque's Consolation that we talked about last mm-hmm. week with Christos um, and I'm sure that's a film that will come up in conversation again um, the, that is the uh, Satoris Dunokis' book, sorry, film based on the Helen Garner book of the same name I, I honestly still, I think I'm getting more complicated feelings about that and The Demons is the same it's it's a really, really extraordinary film basically about the kind of cold politics of childhood um, which I find just extraordinary um, the kind of nitty gritty politics of what happens in class if you've forgotten your your pencil case you know the kind of intense childhood trauma stuff um it really yeah it really kind of gets in with a quite vicious economy into what it's like being a kid you know we have this kind of adults have this soft nostalgic vision of childhood and this film really really unpacks that and there's a scene in this movie um that doesn't it doesn't end in physical domestic violence, but it it kind of maps out. It's almost like a cartography on on how it can happen and on how these sort of explosions happen in domestic spaces that I I just don't think I will forget. I mean, it's just an extraordinary little moment. Where this film, at its best, I think The Demons, was almost somewhere between Xavier Dolan and Gus Van Sant, but at the end of the day, I'm not sure... i am still really undecided. I, I actually suspect it kind of collapsed into, like, a kind of moral panic about children and evil i'm not i'm not really sure i still need to sit with it for some time i think
1: well ambivalence can be a powerful powerful uh thing to take away from a film i find because it's one that you then wind up dwelling upon and mulling yeah. over rather than one of those more anodyne experiences where you come out of the cinema there's a neat resolution oh that's yeah, nice. i
0: love that it was great and it's just like pop yeah. you know it's like and it's the like next chocolate. day it's gone yeah it's gone disposable yeah. Yeah, I, I find it quite extraordinary, actually, that the, the two films that have really gotten underneath my skin, I honestly don't know how I feel. Like, I can't even say that I liked them or that I hated them. I'm, I'm really quite torn.
1: Yeah, there's just more grist for the mill there, yeah. which is good because it means you'll go back to it. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I know, <laughs> <Yeah>, life's <laughs> short, sure and there I'm are that. a lot of other films to see. <laughs> I, I caught, uh, late last week, Death in Sarajevo, um, a, a film I found endlessly fascinating. Um, Dennis uh, Tanovitz, uh, a film which uh, takes place 100 years after Franz Ferdinand was assassinated and triggered World War I. And, and this film takes place as a part, part of its uh, polemical debate about um, uh, the whole <laughs> Balkan situation and, and, and how seemingly irreconcilable it is that the various parties in it can never stop blaming one another or accepting responsibility for all of the horrors of the 20th century, at various points within that century, not just World War One, but all of the the conflicts subsequent to it, and and the tensions that very much exist to the current day, but it was also um, it, it was many films in one. You, you had journalistic interviews uh, with supposed experts in the field, um, representing various uh, points of view, but you also had a hotel manager whose uh, hotel was deeply in debt, trying to run a major EU event to, wow. well, to, to honour uh, this aniver- this awkward anniversary uh, and various um, other dynamics at play there. Uh, uh, his Perhaps his aide-in-chief, uh, a, a woman whose mother was working in the laundry and who was going to run a strike because the staff hadn't been paid for a few months and where she wanted things to run smoothly and there's, there's a suggestion of heavies running an underground gambling den within the hotel who might have to heavy her mom and just all, all of these tensions and all of them you sense not just tensions um, in and of themselves but representative of all of those various dynamics that have been at play in Europe in the 20th century. And it was dense and wonderful and, and incredibly tense and uh, I thought a really terrific film that I, I hope will surface again. And, and interestingly, earlier on in the festival, I saw a film that we didn't find time to speak about called A Good Wife, a Serbian film, which also dealt with the trauma of the conflict of only about 20 or so years back, where a woman discovers her husband had been involved in atrocities and, um, well, what to do about that? Can is it something you can just deny much like she's in denial over a breast cancer situation that um you know the, it, these, these two two situations that play out in tandem is a very clear uh, parallel between the denial of the, the cancer infecting her body and the cancer infecting the society at large and it was these two films would make a great double bill um just because the complexities of that well i mean you can't pretend these two films cover all of that complexity mm-hmm. but they're both grappling with it. I'm really excited that films from that part of the world are just going there and and tenaciously as well. That kind
0: of micro history, sort of personal micro history of those experiences sounds really extraordinary yeah
1: well when 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 the trauma is written on the body like it is yeah, in a good wife yeah. i mean you know,
0: that's amazing you
1: could almost say that this this was a, a bit too simple a metaphor mm. or, but then it's powerful i mean you, you it, feel i can't
0: remember his name the guy that did the tetsuo films did an amazing film called Tsumoto,
1: yeah he did a film called
0: a snake a snake of june a snake, snake in, in june yeah um, very obviously very, very different filmmaker, but I, I think of that because that uses, um, breast cancer and a mastectomy in a really, really interesting,
1: uh-huh.
0: not in a similar way, obviously very different cultural context, but yeah, like, again, like perhaps a very clear symbol, like not, not a really kind of deep, complex kind of metaphor working but a really like very extraordinarily powerful one
1: yeah well maybe sometimes if one metaphor central metaphor within a film doesn't take too much unpacking you might start to think more about the other stuff that's going on that it's clearly being linked with and then really try to process all of that so
0: the opposite of a spoonful of sugar whatever that would be Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm not that's not that's that's a metaphor that has failed other metaphors
1: it's a musical metaphor.
0: I am um, while we're talking about films that we didn't mention early on um Kaylee Blues is is definitely worth mentioning this is um it's a debut film from a Chinese writer director he's like 20 something years old he's he's a young person uh called Gan Ganbai Ganbai sorry um and the film on paper I thought it sounded kind of interesting you know I haven't really seen a lot of films set in this particular kind of subtropical Region and and it's about a, a young doctor called Chen who's trying to miss down track down his missing nephew called Weiwei. Wei. Um, his half brother called Crazy Face. Think mm-hmm. about that. Has done you know has kind of basically sold his he sold his nephew, and Chen is not so happy about what's happened to Wei Wei. So he decides that he will track this track this down. And I thought this sounds like a kind of cool, kind of vaguely mystery family drama kind of thing. You know, I'm going to give this a shot. And I hadn't. It was one of those films I went into cold. I knew nothing about it. Um. And it's just extraordinary. It's just the most beautifully poetic film. I mean, it it, it has spoken poetry all the way through it. And, and not just poetry. There's, um, at one point, the narrator is reading from the um, Diamond Sutra, the, the Buddhist text, over the top. Um, and it's really this extraordinarily poetic journey um, as this man tries to track down his nephew. The, the 40 minutes uh, near the end of the film... Um, the film takes a very different formal tact and it, it's just one 40-minute tracking shot as he moves through uh, a village, uh, sorry, a little town called Dangmei. Um, and it's just beautiful. It's just like real time on the back of a motorcycle, travelling from one little village to another, um, getting his hair washed, getting a button sewn on, um, and then it kind of cuts back. And it, it's j- just one of those little film poetry moments that are really unlikely to figure out, just beautiful.
1: There is something about when real time in, intrudes upon the film, frame is allowed in to seep in, whether much happens or whether it doesn't. i mean, we're watching a, a film we talked about two weeks ago, Chantal Ackerman's No Home Movie, mm. where some of those shots... Uh, to people who, who don't know her work or come in fresh or have no idea what to expect, they'd be saying, that's much too long. Why wasn't there a cut? But it's, that's kind of not the point. Uh, the, the whole passage of time is critical to reading those films and grasping what the artist is getting at and feeling the pain in that film in particular.
0: I love that there's, a, there's an extraordinary book, and I've gone blank. Uh, Yvonne Margolis, I think her name is, uh, who wrote this book on Ackerman. Um, really, like the central text on on Ackerman's films, and it's called Nothing Happens. <laughs> and I just, I just love that so much. I just think it's wonderful. That complete political denial to put in ellipses. It's like, no, I'm going to show everything in between. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. Take, yeah. take that crazy face.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what have you got against this crazy it's face? Crazy.
0: You haven't seen the film. Crazy no. face is no good. Right. He's no good. His no. face is actually not that crazy, as mm. his name would imply. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I digress.
1: <laughs> well, speaking of treatments of time, at the other end of the spectrum, or at least off, perhaps on a tangent as well, uh, I saw uh, Yuzi Skolomowski's latest film, 11 Minutes, which, <gasps> as it suggests, is about 11 minutes' worth of time. That's quite difficult to pin that 11 minutes down because it's not treated at all sequentially. We get various characters who are going to be embroiled in something, some sort of shared experience. You don't know what it is, but we keep getting snippets of that period, And from different perspectives, uh, um, we sense catastrophe, (laughs) imminent catastrophe of some sort. Um, But uh, what I was really taken by with this film is that uh, Scotty obviously is kind of an old guy. He he was at a vanguard of, of... Film sixties. Yeah. I know him
0: from a film from the early '70s called Deep Deep End.
1: Yeah, Deep End, um, which yep. I
0: think is the only film of his I know, and I love that film. Just adore it.
1: Yeah, that's a great coming-of-age mm. uh, swing in London sort of a, a number that one. Um, but yeah, the earlier Polish films, uh, yeah, really quite out there, and 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 he was himself an interesting presence on screen, a very physical performer, uh, and and these films were full of cynicism and uh, and, and little digs at the human condition especially as uh with respect to what humans were um subjected to under polish communist uh regime but these days he, he just he's made a couple of films the last few years and this one is very much of the moment it doesn't seem like an old man's film in the slightest it Perhaps overdoes it with the use of new technologies. We're seeing altogether much too much footage from shot with smartphones, right, and laptops or whatever devices. Sometimes it's because it's based in the narrative. Other times it doesn't seem that clear cut as to why we're looking at things through that particular prism. But nonetheless, this film is very dynamic. I, I know some some people out there have loathed it. Probably folks who feel a bit too much of a connection to that older work and find it hard to see how they how we got from there to here Mm -hmm. but this film just collapses time in all sorts of interesting ways and ultimately collapses a lot of space as well because that catastrophe when it comes is quite catastrophic (laughs) it it takes out a fair bit of what i think is probably warsaw and uh but it was a, a real mishmash it was a in a way harking back to 70s euro pudding type cinema there's people from everywhere speaking all sorts of crazy accents and and um, I don't know if the film was entirely successful but it held me I just don't know which 11 minutes exactly were the 11 minutes in question <laughs> the film ran for, l- I was going to
0: say, how yeah, long did the film run for? It wasn't
1: super long, uh, maybe 90 to 100 and some of those minutes were repeated because we get to see things now from a different character's perspective or we go back a bit and re- mm-hmm,
0: relive mm-hmm.
1: something but from uh, an altogether different perspective. No one likable in it no one you know, to really <laughs> to hang a, 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 a sympathies empathy upon but just an interesting little snappy film from a, an old filmmaker who's seeming quite young.
0: I am um, speaking of things collapsing in films. People really responded strongly to. Let's talk about Neon Team and I am. Um I'm not a ref and hater, although the films of his that I like are the ones that nobody else likes and the ones that I'm kind of indifferent to are the ones that people feel quite strongly about. I think Drive is okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a masterpiece and I know that that's the one that people really go berserk about. I really love Only God Forgives. I just adore that film and that's that's the one that's got me thrown out of houses. <laughs> well, I missed that um, one. but I just adored that.
1: Some of that earlier work. Um, the Pusher yeah, trilogy, trilogy is uh, just
0: extraordinary. Yeah,
1: Valhalla Rising is rather good. I haven't it's seen that. Haven't seen is,
0: it. Somebody tried to, uh, was pitching that. That to me on on social media recently by saying that it's just it's just um, mads covered in blood for two hours. It's like,
1: but with one eye.
0: That I did not know he had one. Eye. This oh, is like yes. this is just getting better and better.
1: Yeah, <laughs> harkening back to an old Slovak film that's screening at this year's Czech and Slovak Film Festival. In a plug, I managed to just
0: <laughs> see what I did there. <laughs> a very nice, uh, Dragon's
1: Return. But um, yeah, look, Neon Demon. Um, well, like the fashion industry, the beauty industries, uh, low-picking fruit, you could say, mm-hmm. to, to satirise. But at least he's given it his all in a bloodbathy sort of a fashion as he could muster with that particular aesthetic that was very prominent and dry. This is so glassy and glossy so composed, so Kubrickian even. Yeah, that's uh, exactly
0: what I, I – I was very confused by that, but it just looks like a Chanel ad mm. and it's like, mm, I think it's meant to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not but, sure if that's a criticism. But there are times
1: when the compositions uh, almost devolve into abstraction with just figures in the centre and just pure flat colour, like Pantone mm. swatches for the filling the rest of the screen. Yep.
0: Did you see Beyond the Black Rainbow? A few I there. there's a science fiction film called Beyond the Black Rainbow because that does, I mean, it's a very, very different film, but just with that particular technique with colour. Yeah. Um, it reminded me a bit of ah, that. Well, I was um,
1: reminded of Under the Skin. Yeah. That, that yeah. sequence where where Scarlett Johansson lures people back and something very peculiar happens yep. in the dark.
0: Yep. I think you'd like Beyond the Black Rainbow. That's all yeah, right. I'll just mention that on the, on the side. Yeah. I Look, I, I, I didn't love this film. I didn't hate this film. I certainly wasn't indifferent to it. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think it's his masterpiece by any stretch. Um, but I don't think it's I don't I wasn't offended by it. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I just I honestly think I've just kind of seen the same ideas done better. Um, some people
1: were offended. There were walkouts yeah, when I mean, I saw it last night. Yeah, I mean, there's pretty extreme
0: stuff in mm. it. I mean, and I get I get that. Like this is I mean A, it's not a filmmaker for everybody, and B, this is not subject matter <laughs> for everybody.
1: But some of the extreme material is pretty silly. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, that's his uh, background. I yeah. mean,
0: he's he's I mean we're going to get calls about this but i honestly think of him as the thinking person's tarantino like he's Mm. he's so we're going to get calls he is so literate with his exploitation cinema background i mean he has an extraordinary knowledge of of what he's doing and where it comes from
1: yeah and there are some central metaphors in this film of a cannibalistic variety and and um to do with whether people are alive or dead and whether that even matters Mm. in such a world that um you don't exactly have to dig deep to a, arrive at an understanding of quite what he's getting at. And even uh, early on when one of the, the models mentions her lipstick is called Red Ram, a little clue as to just how Kubrickian things he's, are going on, to get. Like, and, 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 here, and also and this I'm... is a horror film, folks. It's going to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sure does. I mean, there is there's some yep. yeah, some fun. God, oh, God um, bless.
0: It actually reminded me, um, somebody pointed this out to me, uh, this wonderful, wonderful woman called Natalie pointed out that it, um, there's a Japanese film called Helter Skelter that came out in 2012 by a woman filmmaker called Mika Ninagawa, I think her name is, and that's going from memory. I apologise if I got her name wrong. She is an extraordinary woman. She's actually, um, it's based on a manga, but she is a fashion photographer by trade. Very, um, who's that guy, David... Hamilton? No. Chappelle.
1: La Chappelle? Chappelle. Chappelle La Chappelle. Chappelle,
0: One of them's a comedian. Yes. The other one's a really glossy photographer. We don't want to get them mixed up. It's the photographer yeah. one. Yeah, her work is very, not similar to him, but yeah. it's very much that kind of hyper intense colour and very staged. Yeah. And so her films are like that too. But Helter, um, Helter Skelter is, is kind of neon demon, but about um, kind of J-pop idol culture. Uh-huh. Um, very gory and very beautiful and lots of glitter and blood and and yeah. stuff like that, And I think I just I wasn't quite braced for Neon Demon to be a kind of piss weak version of Monty <laughs> Skelter.
1: Well, it also um, went into a, a sort of sub Kenneth Anger level of occultism as well, certain symbolism. Which also um, reminded yeah. me
0: of Starry Eyes, which yes. was a very low budget indie yeah, which film which a few we spoke years ago. About which, on this yeah, show, we did, didn't we? which I adored. I think mm, it was good. Um, Yeah, and uh, that was I mean that's really really low budget compared to what Refn was doing. Yeah. But I, I honestly kind of thought I've seen this. I've seen bits of this done better before, um, and that's not a dig at this. I think it, it did very well what it was trying to do, but it didn't... Yeah, it's um, still a
1: fun package for yeah. those who aren't squeamish. Yeah, like.
0: I like that people were really shocked by it. And yeah. It's good. And it's good some, to go to a film festival. There are some good really laughs shocked.
1: to be had if you, if you tune into <laughs> that wavelength. It's, yeah, yeah, some of the performances are enjoyably vacuous.
0: Speaking of... Um, I was going to say not speaking of enjoyably vacuous. <laughs> that's a terrible, <laughs> terrible lead-in. But speaking of gloss and shiny and, and kind of aesthetics... Um, I want to give a shout-out because we actually haven't manch- mentioned any music documentaries during mm. this year. Have not? No, we haven't. We didn't we – just we we've been well, it's busy. It's a big
1: program. It's a huge
0: program. The whole Backbeat program has been extraordinary this year. So I want to give a quick shout-out to my favourite, which was Gary Newman, Android in La La Land by Steve Reed and Rob Alexander. This really blew me away. I wasn't expecting much from this. It's like, okay, the guy's – not a robot the end you know like what are you going to get out of this but it's this beautiful personal story is him um gary newman and his wife Gemma take their beautiful young girls they move from the uk to the us and it's about him making an album and and just this beautiful journey that he goes on and talks about really deeply you know his problems with the press problems with his family and just living with um asperger's syndrome Mm -hmm. it was just a really surprisingly intimate Quite beautiful documentary. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio Three Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. Big film, very much big excitement at Miff about High Rise, the new Ben Wheatley film, the adaptation of Ballard's novel of the same name. Um, ben Wheatley, big big cult film director, love him or hate him, um, and I think that it's fair to say there are many people on both sides of that fence. Wheatley makes films, I think, that are difficult to forget, and they're quite assertively in your face. Things like Kill List, A Field in England, Down Terrence. Terrence? Terrence. Down Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> Down Terrace, and probably my favourite of his, 2013 Sightseers, just to name a few. In High Rise, Wheatley ventures into what for many is the sacred terrain of adapting a J.G. Ballard novel, which, along with Concrete Island and Crash, is pretty much an unflinching look at the impact economic factors and so-called progress make on the individual. Like the novel, Wheatley's film follows Dr. Robert Lang, who play, uh, played by Tom Hiddleston in the movie, after he moves into the eponymous apartment block where all one's necessities are housed inside, supermarket, schools, etc. High and low classes begin to cluster, with results both spectacular and in true Ballardian and Wheatleyan style chaotic. Cerise, discuss.
1: Discuss. Right. Discuss. Well, I'm, I'm very fresh from a viewing of this, having just viewed a screener a little earlier today. I've not read the book, but I've read a number of other Ballard books, including others which cover sort of similar terrain. Uh, the English Society, ripping them, tearing themselves another one. <laughs> uh, Millennium People, uh, Super Khan. Uh, I don't know if it was the English so much, just people. I think it may have been the English abroad. It uh, doesn't matter. Uh, Ballard's people, typically really honing in on the middle classes, going berserk. But here, yes, the whole, this stratified social structure i mean really it's it's just england england is like this we know that there's still such class warfare there mm-hmm. everyone is so tainted by their class system um even now in 2016 it's this film has that wonderful retro futuristic thing going the the book was what 1975 or so the, yeah, the film yeah. gives every impression of being set in a, a future that is also 1975 or so the 70s fashions and 70s vehicles and just 70s-ness is um, as as uh, impressive uh, in, as aesthetically as, as this sort of concrete monstrosity they're all housed in that looks like Soviet brutalist uh, architecture. Or even something I saw today just, just by chance online uh, through the Dangerous Minds website, which is very addictive, just a, a photographic, uh, online exhibition of Egyptian structures in the desert that were abandoned and they're just these concrete husks and they wow. f- quite resembled this skyscraper in this film as well. Uh, I had quite a lot of fun with this film uh, it, it, Tom, Tom Hiddleston can't really do much wrong uh, Jeremy Irons hamming it up as the architect of this. It's
0: nice to see him good in something again.
1: And sweary oh. <laughs> uh, I, I did have have a lot of fun with this, though. So I I struggled with its its denouement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just wanted to say it, denouement. <laughs> you said um, it,
0: you said it beautifully <laughs> yeah,
1: with relish uh, because it it just got very hasty. Uh, things I, I know that the whole point is that things should uh, escalate rather rapidly but I didn't get the sense of that being very convincing just through the extremely choppy approach to montage that Ben Wheatley adopted I would have liked things to be more rhythmic in that sense where you got the sense of it escalating through rhythmic montage rather than just through this uh, very choppy elliptical uh, cutting where things were just flashing from time uh, to different time space rooms within this place it all got very chaotic I know that's also the point but uh, it didn't Somehow draw me into the real sense of of society just completely falling to pieces. Things all got very Lord of the Flies, but with a, a class system aspect to it that is so oh so British. Uh, but look, you know, there's still some some glee to be had in just seeing a, a really fine cast uh, work this. Ultimately, really unpleasant material. It, it goes there. It goes to some nasty, nasty places.
0: I never thought I would use these words, but I think it was the the film. The role, sorry, the role Sienna Miller was born to play. Mm. Who knew? Who knew mm-hmm. that I would be saying those words on radio? But yeah, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, she
1: was good in something else recently that escapes my conscious mind at the moment, but I'll come back to if and when. <laughs> I can conjure it. Oh, no, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> the suspense.
0: Yeah. I have, a, I have a strange relationship to this film in that I saw it uh, earlier in the year, and I, I quite liked it, and then I saw it after Brexit. Mm. Um, and by that I mean the British referendum on leaving the EU, not a mispronunciation of Breakfast. Breakfast. Um, because yeah. that would make me sound like an idiot. Um,
1: Which we, we won't have that. We can't have
0: that on Plato's Cave, good Lord. <laughs> I I was really surprised the second time around just how much it... I mean, just, just having an initial kind of takeaway message from this film and then in the context of Brexit, it really... it's It just kind of brought back all these Balladian ghosts, you know. Mm. I mean, this is the guy... I mean, I think Crash was released in Australia seven months before Diana died. I mean, it was super close. It was very, very close. You know, this kind of weird, creepy sexualization of car accidents. You know, the, yes. the staging and the perform the performativity and the and erotics the of it. Yeah, the gloss, mm. the gloss. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, I and I'm certainly not alone in this. But um, everything that Ballard said about Reagan, I think, just goes triply for for Trump. What we're seeing with Trump, um, you know, the, I mean, this stuff is pretty, pretty powerful, pretty potent stuff. And I just re-watching high-rise all i could think of is that this is just like i mean this is this is brexit cinema this is our first brexit movie you know it's it's extraordinary because it came out before it um but it very much is that this this fantasy of of isolation and how that and you know based on a myth you know that, that hinges on something that was never real to begin with um and you know this kind of a costume party with this amazing um Orchestral. Clint Mansell does this beautiful orchestral SOS by ABBA oh, where people have these sort of powdered wigs and this absurd performance of Britishness that just collapses into chaos Of oh, anachronistic and,
1: Britishness too. Uh-huh. Which is, I mean, that whole class system is such an anachronism exactly. and still such a blight on that society mm-hmm. and hence Brexit where one uh, ladder in the, the class system there managed to somehow... Horn swoggled another one into voting something that really just wasn't grim, in his best interest, and, really, and now yeah, it just stacks on.
0: Yeah, it is that's exactly, it. Yeah. and that's the kind of vibe I think that's in the film. Yes, the, you know, this so, kind so of chaotic so stacks yeah. on. I mean, you know, the, the Luke Evans, my 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 hero, Luke Evans, is just. I mean, for me, he, this is this is his film. I'm kind of biased about Luke Evans, but I think he's um, I think he's probably the strongest performer in the whole movie. People get really intense about Ballard adaptations, and I think. I maybe I'm misreading Ballard, but I I never took away from his work that he is somebody that we would need to be particularly reverential about. Um, but yet here we are, and there's a lot of talk about no, it's not the same tone. You know, it's not. It's 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 a it's a it's kind of like uh, it's not loyal to the book. It's kind of misses what the book's about. It's like yeah, but it's a film, and I think that what really strikes me with this movie is that it's as much a Wheatley film mm. as it is a Ballard adaptation, and I think that. That's really one of the things that I found most powerful, and I get that people don't en masse really – I mean, you know, he's a popular filmmaker, but I think he's still cult in a way. I think so. He doesn't appeal to everybody. No. I think of Wheatley very closely uh, aligned with Peter Strickland, Mm -hmm. who I think – and I think that these are two of the best British filmmakers working today. Strickland, I think, is living in Hungary. I think he has a Hungarian wife.
1: Yeah. But he's a British
0: but, yes. filmmaker and he makes British films. And both and I think what's extraordinary about both of these guys is that they they kind of make films that work the same way and that they they just climb and they creep and then suddenly all hell breaks loose and it's just chaos. You just descend into chaos.
1: Yeah, and in both cases the films feel very now but also very um, 60s yeah. 70s-ish too. They're There's a bit.
0: real liminal the haziness about what these guys are doing yeah. I mean I think that this is I mean I think High Rise is really classic Wheatley um, regardless of, of how loyal or how not loyal it is to Ballard I mean I'm not really sure how I mean the, the the only Ballard adaptation that really 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 blew me away in terms of being a quote unquote adaptation a chap called um, a colleague of our Jack Sargent mm-hmm. um, um, you know, does Revfest in Perth amazing author he put me onto a film, uh, an adaptation of the Atrocity Exhibition that came out in 2000 by a guy called Jonathan Weiss, an American film. Do you know this? Did you see this? No,
1: I know it exists. I've never caught up with it.
0: Yikes. Like, I think I'm pretty, I'm a pretty tough lady. I can deal with it. But this is, you know, this is like, um, you know, real footage of plastic surgery, you know, bits of skin and stuff and hardcore pornographies in it. You know, this is not, this was not a, a, this was not a, um, you weren't seeing this at Northland Multiplex. This wasn't a mainstream film by any stretch. More's
1: the pity, disgust.
0: But but yeah, it's like, you know, how do you, I mean, how, you know, unless you're doing Empire of the Sun, I kind of wonder, you know, if it's a little bit like the playwright Sarah Kane, you know, maybe that these were films that were deliberately unadaptable um, and you just kind of have to take the ball and run with it. And I love that Wheatley kind of did that. You know, he made a Wheatley film out of a ballad text. And I I don't.
1: I think a perfect marriage of those two would be a a book of ballads that I love called. I'm pretty sure it's called the Unlimited Dream Factory, which is set around Shepperton Film Studios. So it's very much oh, wow. set in a film world. Yet it's this crazy fantasy where now I can't. It's been some years since I read it, and it's all it's a it's not exactly a realistic novel. Uh, but someone goes on some sort of monstrous sexual ecstasy-filled rampage around the studios. Somehow shag- Was it you? Was no, it you, Cerise? No, not so much. But the, the, the sexual, sexuality um, transcends more than just... Uh, trans- goes well beyond just the human body and, and encompasses wildlife and generally uh, flora rather than fauna. It's, it's really peculiar. And, and um, it's the sort of thing that Wheatley could do, that pastoral horror with uh, more than just tinges of psychedelia in a field in England, marry that to high-rise and that's it, and that Ballardian sensibility. And you would have, a, I think, a cracking adaptation of a very peculiar book.
0: I'm thinking Strickland, kind of Berberian sound studio era Strickland meets um, Duke of Burgundy, <laughs> natural. <laughs> we can kickstart this. We can do this. We can make it happen.
1: We have an unlimited dream. <laughs> Factory all
0: our own. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 r in Melbourne, Australia. We are now going to talk about Truman, winning no less than five Goya Awards, including Best Film, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Actor Awards for both Ricardo Duran and Javier Camara. Is that right? Did I say his name right? Probably, maybe. Javier...
1: Javier
0: Camara. Truman is basically a Monsters of Rock tour of Spanish and Argentine cinema, directed by Cesc Gay, who did most notably a film called A Gun in Each Hand in 2012. Truman follows Camaras Thomas, who leaves Canada to visit his dying best friend Julian in Spain. During his brief stay, Thomas gains insight into his long-lost friend as he visits doctors and family with him and helps him find a home for his beloved dog, the Truman of the film's title. This is a film about life, love and friendship as much as death, and Truman is, amongst other things, I think a really key entry in a series of films where Ricardo Duran's incredible eyes take centre stage. Disgust. <laughs> Disgust. And drool. Oh my goodness me! I've got the swoons. I need the the smelling salts. The the weirdo. <clears throat> I'm going to stop talking.
1: <laughs> well, they're they're extraordinary. They're they're somehow mesmerising yet sleepy. He, he always looks like he's about to nod off a little. But then he, there's that sparkle there. There's that me. kind
0: of post postcoital magic Man. to mr durant he's, extremely he's even seems to be playing
1: that that up when he greets his friend early on in this film and is immediately scolded for opening the door with an erection <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the translation i hope it was something a bit filthier and vernacular in the original <laughs> spanish it's just an odd odd thing it's to surgical. say surgical yeah subtitling is a, a d- difficult art to master um, yeah anywho um it is it's a lovely film um As we were just saying a moment ago, it's not really one that I would recommend taking someone who is perhaps themselves in a terminal condition. No, or if
0: you are yourself dealing with those kind of issues in your life with somebody you know or yourself, I think it would be very hard going. Yeah. I found it incredibly moving. I found the nuance of dealing with death. Um, this is, I mean, it's quite funny in places. I think it's quite a, a loving, joyful it's film.
1: Tremendously warm. Um,
0: there's a scene where they uh, they go to, uh, I guess, an undertaker and Duran's character is really shocked at how small the urn is for the mm. ashes and there's this moment where you can see his brain kind of calculating that that's the size that he's going to be. So these quite very subtle, nuanced, little uh, minutiae, you know, mm. that you don't sort of see in these big melodramatic films that this film really kind of hones in on. And, and, you know, who's going to look after my dog? And I love that the film is named after the dog, you know, this practical concern of what's going to happen to my dog.
1: And why the dog's um. name? Truman is <laughs> quite, quite a mystery.
0: <laughs> beautiful dog, beautiful dog. I came across Duran with um, uh, Nine Queens, I think, and the original Secret in Their Eyes, not mm-hmm. that, that terrible <laughs> remake that came out. Last year, and I couldn't figure out where I knew Kamara from, but he's um, in a bunch of Amodava films. Yes. He was in uh, Talk to Her, Bad Education, I'm So Excited. Um,
1: Let's not ever mention that film again.
0: I'm sorry. Can I just mention Dolores Fonzie's name again? Yeah, the, sure. The, what a name, hmm. Dolores Fonzie. That's, I just love that name. Um, who I found out later was married is the partner of Gail Garcia Bernal.
1: Could have been Gail Garcia Fonzie or Lost Opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> That's one that went begging. <laughs> that's,
0: that is so specifically my kind of joke. It's it's almost a moral how up my alley that yeah. is.
1: But He was also great in a film, uh, a, a quite low key Argentine film some years ago called XXY about a young I remember intersex. You about yeah, that. yeah. He, he's the father, and he just does so much acting with those eyes. Seems to be doing a lot with very eyes. little. But yeah, they're captivating.
0: And he was in Wild Tales that we talked about last oh, he year. Was, that was that's wonderful, right. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful comic anthology, yes. very black comedy anthology yeah.
1: he does comedy, he does drama, pathos bathos, all, all the classics <laughs> eyes, he uh, lots of eyes
0: Yeah. look I, I really was very moved by this film and the whole time I was watching it two things kept coming to mind one was the complete amazement that I was really into this film because it's so not really my cup of tea the, you know, just these extraordinary performances and the sensitivity of those performances really pulled me in um, this beautiful relationship between these two men, um, just kind of negotiating, you know, their history and their current family relationships. And just... And the other thing was less pleasant, which was how, how badly is this going to be butchered when it's remade in America? That's mm-hmm. all I could think. It was like, there's no way that this isn't going to get remade. I mean, it's just... It's so ripe for the picking. And it's just like, you're going to put... I don't know, Mel... Who are you going to... You're going to put Mel Gibson in this? You're going to kill it? Somebody with... Somebody with... Terrible eyes is going
1: to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I just it and just the score. Imagine that uh, uh, oh. the saccharin string treatment mm-hmm. to. I mean, this is it, it, it is very delicate. This uh, this film it, it just gets that balance right without ever ever getting too mawkish or maudlin. Uh, it just does hit those uh, emotional uh, beats as as in, in a way that doesn't feel manipulative. <laughs> uh, it feels quite organic. And, uh, yes, it's a tremendously warm, engaging film with just so happens two of the, the best... Uh, are, they, are they both Argentine or is it just Ricardo Duran? Because the film seems to be Duran's having...
0: it's, it's a co-production. I think Duran's yeah. uh, Argentine is. and yes. I think Camara is Spanish. Because
1: it did seem sure. to be a little thing within the film where it was acknowledging uh he plays an actor ricardo mm-hmm. Joanne, and and he plays an actor who we are explicitly told was one of the first if not the first to be cast in a, a spanish production in spain um
0: yeah they very explicitly yeah they acknowledge really... i think that they were both originally from Buenos Aires. yes um, and yeah uh, yeah camara's character moves to Canada. Canada. Yeah, mm.
1: Winnipeg, I think. He, yep. uh, really, yeah. Really, Duran makes wonderful yeah. jokes
0: all the way through it. So, say hello to your Viking yes. children.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, just you know, quasi-racist jive. Just, just
0: straight out. Childhood like, friend, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but that, that, I mean, that rule that rings true as well. Mm. People who have been friends that old will wind one another up, and often the best way to do that is to be a bit grotesque. It's
0: offensive. And, yeah. yeah,
1: actually, yeah, offensive.
0: The, the way that this film just kept coming back to that the practicalities um, how do you do that and not be a boring film um, that you know how do you how do you deal with people who can't deal with the fact that you're dying um, that's dealt with in quite an extraordinary way Ways, you know, bumping yes. into people in restaurants who avert their eyes, you know, that kind of thing. But, but-
1: then turning that on its head slightly, when uh, Darren's character it, it realizes he's trying to avoid somebody too, was he done them wrong? And that person shows himself to be, you could say, the bigger person. And then they have a lovely exchange, and that's really sweet too. And you realize that somebody who thinks he's got a hand, a handle on how to die with dignity and grace, has actually not quite mastered it yet <laughs> either. And so those those moments are really very sweet they ring true and and are affecting
0: yeah they really are i mean it's just this, yeah this it's a very simple story i think and i think in the wrong hands there would be a real temptation to really lose that detail and really ramp up the melodrama and i just think i just i'm just dreading the i'm just dreading being on that long haul international flight and, and watching, I, I, I have, I'm having nightmares about who will be cast in the American version. It will be of Tom Hanks. Oh, don't even, don't even do that to me. That's not on, not on live radio. That's <laughs> 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 it's going. It, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I'm fearing. That it would be like a full-on Tom Hanks.
1: What if it was Seth Rogen?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jonah Hill.
0: Okay, now I'm, now I'm actually thinking maybe you know, yeah. <laughs> Channing Tatum could do it.
1: Why not? Oh, Channing Tatum could do anything.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have the eyes? Uh, mm. this is not where i expected this <laughs> conversation to go
1: well you sort of stared it there playing a the what if game
0: <laughs> i like this film very much
1: yeah me too it's it's a it is a yeah, it's a good good film
0: tell me about friday
1: oh yes uh as we wrap this up a friday on my mind i have a little uh personal appearance type talky thing that i've engaged to do this friday at acme in studio one for the australian film television radio school where i will talk about what it is how it is why it is you might run a film festival uh, i have a czech and slovak film fest coming up and so Philippa hawker is going to grill me for the uh benefit uh to all comers free entry um benefit of well thems has come uh, <laughs> uh thems are curious about why on earth someone would be so mad as to run a, a festival for love and not money. Oh were that there was some <laughs> money though. Then we could have a different discussion. But uh, uh still plenty of material to work with.
0: And it's a pretty amazing film festival. It's not all bad. It's pretty good. S- speaking of amazing film festivals, that's what we've been talking about tonight. Um if if you missed MIF, we're really sorry it was a great year. <laughs> you you yeah, it was a out. good? out. Yeah, next year it's it's gonna get
1: Older. it's not gonna happen It'd again. it be sixty three <laughs> Six, 65,
0: 66. Oh, my gosh. was this year the 65th. Now I'm feeling weary. Mm. Uh, is it 60? We've got the program over there. Yeah, it
1: doesn't say. Uh, I think they got coy about yeah. the <laughs> age. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was the 65th this year.
0: We have also been talking about High Rise, which is playing exclusively at Cinema Nova in Carlton. Truman is on limited release through Palette Films. We're back with a full old school cave next week with Josh Nelson and Thomas Caldwell to skip right up in the grill of Radiothon. Mm. We're going to get in its face. We're going to thon some radios. Is
1: that next week? So it next soon. Week?
0: It is next week. i am just yeah. had a panic attack. Yeah. Marion's nodding. No, it's next week, guys. I know, I know. You feel the love, feel the energy, feel the subscriptions. Feel the subscriptions, in, yes. In. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, until then, we are going to leave you. Thank you, Cerise. Thank you, Marion, for looking after us Thank you, night. Alex. Um, until then, we are going to leave you in the, with the Ballardian Jason Moore with the dystopian disco thrills of local and or general.